This is a recording of a live Resolution Foundation event. We hope you find it some combination of interesting or entertaining. To read the research and access the event slides referenced in this episode, please visit the events section of our website. Good uh, evening, everybody. Welcome to this event. My name is Torsten Bell. I'm the Chief Exec of the Resolution Foundation. We're one of the partners hosting this event today, along with the London School of Economics and the Centre for Cities think tank, all who have collaborated on a report today about what it would take to make Birmingham urban area, the wider area that sits around Birmingham City, more productive. But we didn't actually start from Birmingham, we started from Britain, where a think tank focused on the United Kingdom as a whole and the living standards of low middle income households in Great Britain. And this is part of a wider project called the Economy 2030 Inquiry, asking what does it take to basically turn this country around? What does it take to turn around a situation where we've seen the high inequality we inherited from the 1980s and the stagnant growth we've had for the last 15 years and to start making a difference to those things? What does it take to reboot the country's economic strategy? And one of the lines of inquiry that that project has taken is to say that Britain's twin second cities, we're not going to have a row about which of the second cities or whether Glasgow should be in the list, or whether, you know, if we include Coventry, then we'll get to be bigger than the uh, Greater Manchester. But what it would take to make Britain's two great second cities, Greater Manchester and then the wider Birmingham area, what would it take to make them more productive? Not because that would be nice for Birmingham and Manchester, although I think it would be, as we'll come back to, but because Britain needs its second cities to be more productive, because there isn't a plausible route to a much richer Britain that doesn't. Uh, go through that part. So that's the focus of the report we've published today, and that's what we want to be discussing with all of you today. It's great to see a great um, turnout, and thank you for joining us online for those of you uh, doing that. Um, so what we're going to do, first of all, you're going to hear from Paul Swinney, who's a research director at the Centre for Cities, who's going to give you a summary of the report. It's a very long report, so he's not going to do all of it because there's this thing called will to live. He's going to do 10 minutes of it, and he's going to stop, he promises me, uh, while people are still awake. Um, then you're going to hear from Jess Phillips, uh, MP, who's the Member of Parliament for Birmingham uh, Yardley, and also goes in the one of the most fun MPs. Uh, <laughs> that's generally a good thing. Because she's a fun MP with a life, it also means that she's pegging it at 25 past six uh, so that she can go to the Lion King, uh, yeah, which is on for another four days. Yeah. Living in the local area, I want to go for 80, 80 quid ticket. 80 quid ticket. Well, I, know. I think there are cheaper ones. That's what I said. I said that is what a cost of living crisis is being driven by, and someone needs to do something about it. Right. Uh, after that, you're going to hear from Ed Cox, um, who is the Executive Director for Strategy and Economy at the West Midlands Combined Authority, yeah, which is obviously, you know, we're coming at this from purely economic perspective, right? And we see the city um, of Birmingham City with its wider urban area from an economic perspective. And lots of people don't do that, doesn't matter, because the important thing from the policy and the politics perspective is that the West Midlands Combined Authority is the authority with the responsibility for making a, a different world exist for um, this part of the country. So then people have to do a lot of this, along with the local authorities, and hopefully national government doing its share. So we're going to, it's going to tell us a bit about what we actually need to do and how we're already making progress on um, lots of these things. Then you're going to hear from Kevin Ellis, who's the chair of PwC right the way across the United Kingdom. Um, uh, and thank you for hosting us today, Kevin. Very good of you, uh, indeed. Uh, Kevin also, though, is quite scary because he told me he's standing down next year because he's done 
eight years as the chair of BBC running PwC across the country. The reason that is scary is not as good for him, actually. It's very bad for me because tomorrow is my eight-year anniversary in this job. So I'm basically going to get defenestrated uh, at about midnight tonight on the way home by the team, it turns out. I didn't realize there was a law after eight years, but it turns out Kevin is like the American is it president. Like the president? <laughs> he is like the American president. I'm hoping that isn't the rule with the president. <laughs> right, so that is the plan. Now, as always, those of you in the room can ask questions by using your hands, which if you remember from pre-COVID, it goes like this. Okay, and then you can ask a question. Those of you on live or in the room can go onto Slido. It's hashtag West Midlands. You can put questions in there. Loads of you already have but you can also engage in some polls that we're going to be doing. So if you want to vote in the polls online, keep in the room, you also need to go onto Slido. Yeah? So if you're looking at your things, I'm going to assume you're not evil email readers, but are in fact engaging in this active discussion. Right? So that is the plan. For all oh, ten minutes. No, okay. <laughs> I said you were fun, but it turns out, it turns out he's a heckler and you're heckling from the stage. It's like, piped out a bit, right? Paul, give your presentation before she completely loses it. Am I right? Stand up. I don't get lost on the Stand up. Uh, on the, uh, the live stream. Marvellous. A great see so many people. So, as Torsten said, the Economy 2030 project, which is a very, very big project, has identified how we have a, a problem in the UK in terms of uh, stagnation of the economy. And the big challenge is how we try and drag ourselves out of that. Now, the premise for the report here is that the UK is not going to drag itself out of uh, this uh, challenge that it faces if it doesn't deal with the big problem it's got in terms of underperformance of its biggest cities outside of uh, London. There's no plausible route for the UK to be more successful without having you know, a number of these big cities being more successful and put in to help you drag that uh, uh, drag, uh, productivity rates, uh, drag productivity performance. And that's what we need to focus on. So that's the purpose and the, the, the reason why we did uh, this work. And today we're looking at the Birmingham area, and on Tuesday we'll be launching work in terms of what we have done for Greater Manchester as well. So what's the task that we're setting ourselves? We set ourselves, and what's the goal that the research is trying to uh, trying to get to? So the task is to make the Birmingham urban area as effective as an effective city region. The different parts of the city region successfully play different roles, and are put together to support the attraction of high value firms and high-value workers. That, that's, the, that's the real thing that we want to be trying to deal at. So hold that in your mind, then can we then tell you about. And what's the goal? Well, the goal, given that the Birmingham urban area is not performed like other big cities elsewhere in Europe, not performed like other big cities elsewhere in America, uh, for example, is to try and get it to perform like its peers. We're trying to raise its performance so it is actually fitting into the urban system the way that we do see that playing out in other countries and getting it, making the contribution that it should be relative to how we see those other places doing that. So what does that then look like in terms of how you articulate that? It's to reduce the productivity gap, the focus on productivity uh, between the city uh, and London from 37% to 27%, because that's the gap that we see between Paris and Toulouse in France, for example, that's a nice yardstick. Right, so why is the, the city underperforming? Well, put simply, and this might sound a bit noddy, but it's because it's not tracking the, the right mix of businesses into uh, the urban area in the way that we'd expect to see. And that's some implications for the productivity of the place as a whole. So let's break that down a little bit. Two types of business, crudely. The first one is what we call local services. So those businesses that very much sell the local market. So think hairdressers, um, cafes, bars, restaurants, perhaps very local solicitors, those types of companies. Now, three things you need to know about these local services companies. First, is that they're very low productivity. Second, is that they haven't seen very much productivity growth as long as data goes back. And third, is that partly because of those two factors, you don't actually vary, their productivity doesn't really vary very much across the country. So this section of the economy, 
isn't the reason why the Birmingham urban area is not performing as well as what it should be. Now, the reason why I raise this is because you might have heard the phrases like the everyday economy and things like that, and the long tail of firms being the really important reason as to why we're seeing this underperformance. But the reality is actually it's not that element that is driving the productivity, uh, the, the poor productivity performance. So it's mainly not important. From an employment perspective, they're really important. They employ a lot of people. That requires a labour market intervention rather than a productivity intervention. Right, so we've dealt with that. Second type of business is what we would describe as being tradable goods and services. So they're, they're companies that sell to a regional, national, international market. So that would include businesses like PwC or manufacturing companies or AI companies or these types of things. They're selling beyond their, their local market. And they're the ones that are more productive. They're the ones that drive productivity growth in the UK. And these are the companies that basically different parts of the country are trying to grab hold of to try and bring prosperity to their areas. Now, why would I put these funny button charts up on the, on the screen? I'm only going to look at a very, very brief thing to look at on here, right hand side. Three lines, one's for cities in the Great Southeast, one's for, um, for the Birmingham uh, primary urban area, and one's for Greater Manchester. The main thing to focus is that the red line, cities in the Great Southeast, um, that red line is much higher towards the right end, end of the chart, where productivity is high. Basically, what that tells us is that the tradable base in the southeast is much more productive than what it is in the Birmingham urban area and what it is in, in Greater Manchester as well. And the challenge is that these cities have not been able to attract in those high productivity companies in the way that we need them to do. Now, you might think, well, okay, well, so what sectors are driving that? Well, it's a mix of sectors. And actually, what we're seeing uh, in the Birmingham urban area is that across the board, those sectors and those tradable sectors are not doing as well as what they, they should be. Part of that is manufacturing. And yes, we want manufacturing to do better, but a big part of it is about services. And there's no plausible route to a more successful Birmingham urban area or a more successful UK economy as well if we don't get more out of those trade and services companies that are increasingly driving growth in the knowledge economy. So that's a real important thing to think about from a, um, from a strategy perspective. And the implication that then has in terms of investment, very briefly this, this chart shows that we don't see very much investment or much less investment in the Birmingham urban area than what we uh, might well want to see. So we're not seeing high value firms coming in, investing. So you can see there that that red dot is pretty much towards the bottom of that chart, when really, as the arrow shows, we need to be much higher if we're going to get, uh, get the Birmingham urban area performing in the way that we want it to do. So why is this? Why are these businesses not coming in to invest in the way that we might want to do? Well, we've got to think about why it is that big cities should be attracted to these types of businesses in the first place. And there's two reasons for that. First one is that they, in theory, offer access to large pools of skilled workers. And the second one is offer access to, to, uh, to, to interaction with other firms, other businesses, other workers, where people can then share ideas and information. Now, that sounds a little bit abstract, doesn't it? But if you basically look out the window here and see the density of businesses that we have in this one space, this shows us that the particularly knowledge businesses, service exporting businesses, are really, really keen to have this face-to-face -face interaction. And that's why we have seen, in general, a return back to the office post-COVID, if not back to pre-COVID levels while the office being dead. Face-to-face -face interaction is important. So then we say, well, how does the Birmingham urban area perform on those metrics? We can actually measure that. Let's see. And is this where, where does the problem lie? What does that then mean from a policy perspective? Right. So let's look at that deep pool of skilled workers to start off with. And let's look at the composition point. So have we got lots of a high share of, of skilled workers in Birmingham? Well, this chart truly says no. You can see red dots down towards the bottom. About 30% of people have a degree. That's, all, that's the lowest of almost any of those dots on that chart. And it needs to move forward in the way that arrow shows. So the composition of the skill at the labour market is a problem. 
But the size is a problem as well, because in on paper, the Birmingham urban area is a really big uh, place, as Thorsten said, joint twin uh, second city uh, in the UK. But in reality, when you start to look at transport data, it's much more like a medium-sized city. Now, if scale is important, that is a concern. So if we can say this through congestion data when we look at cars, but if we pull this out from a public transport perspective, the town area is basically what we're looking at when we're talking about the Birmingham urban area. It's a pretty big space. Look at the red area on that. That's, that's the areas that can get into the centre of Birmingham within 30 minutes. You don't need me to tell you that the red area is much smaller than the, than the town area. Indeed, if you work 45 minutes uh, as well, you can see that that's still much smaller. So that labour market actually is much smaller than maybe what we might think. Um, and we need we need the big city to stop being like a medium-sized city. We need the big city to be like a big city. That requires housing interventions and it requires transport interventions. So that's the labour market element. Second element about face-to-face uh, -face interaction, the importance of, importance of density, which happens in city centres in particular. Let's look at that. So some good news to start off with is that uh, Birmingham city centre is actually very successful. You know, turned itself around in the last 30 years, you know, the, even when you see the redevelopments happen just in this little square here for the last 10 years, which has been great to see. Huge change that has happened. That 3D map there, I love a map and I absolutely love 3D maps. You can see uh, very much the economy is clustered within the centre, the centre of, uh, of Birmingham. There's something a little bit concerning here is that the city is, is success, city centre successful, but it's too small to spread prosperity. So this is why you see in this chart here, it's in the top left, which basically says, the higher you go, the more productive the city centre is relative to the rest of the city. That's a good thing. That is how it should work because of the benefits of being in a city centre location. But if you're over to the, to the left, it means that not very much of your, your employment is in that city. So very, very strong performance, but small. So how is that going to spread the prosperity that we need? How is that going to push up the performance of, of the Birmingham urban area overall if it's just too small? We need Birmingham city centre to be much bigger. And there's no flaws. It doesn't mean we don't invest in other places. It doesn't mean we don't expect to see growth elsewhere in, uh, uh, elsewhere in the Birmingham urban area. But if we buy the argument that different parts of the UK play different roles and we should preference Birmingham, and we're telling some government policymakers that's the case, we also have to buy the argument that different parts within the Birmingham urban area also play different roles. And we should be expecting different outcomes from within that. And that means dealing with the underperformance the of Birmingham city centre. Now, the scale of this, in terms of interventions required, very, very large. This is not a case of fill around the edges with a little pot of money here and a little pot of money there. It requires really big change. So here's some figures to try and illustrate that. So in order to achieve what we think we want to achieve, you know, reduce that gap between uh, Birmingham and the largest uh, city in the UK, uh, 65,000 more graduates, we think, are needed. These are ballpark, but gives you a sense of the feeling. £5.4 billion pounds more spent by the public purse on, on public transport, 116,000 extra homes to house these people, and 300 million to accelerate that housing development, and a £2.1 billion pound subsidy to deal with social housing um, as well. Now, that last point brings us on to the, the last point I want to make, which is that there are trade offs within all of this, and we highlight those trade offs throughout the, the work. One of the trade offs is that a more successful economy means how the, 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 the um, risk that you create a more unequal economy as well. And the challenge for policy is not just about trying to get growth going and dealing with productivity, although that should be the first thing, but it's then also to deal with how who gains from that. But it's not, it's not using that as an excuse not to do it, but making sure that policy is in place in order to deal with that. So we've got loads of modelling in the report that looks at this sort of stuff. But you can see there that this is a scenario where we don't build enough houses to meet the increased demand. 
And you can see that there's quite a lot of variation across the income distribution in terms of who wins and who doesn't, uh, which is shown by the um, uh, by the teal bars. And if you look at the one, two, and three, which is the uh, uh, which is the, the the poorest part of the Birmingham society, we see that incomes in that group in that modelling rise the least of anywhere. And that is why we need to build more houses. That will require political challenges and political trade-offs, but it's really important that we deal with that element as well. So that gives you an overview in terms of the analysis that we pull out in terms of where the problems are. Lots of detail in the report about how we go about trying to deal with that, but toss my hand back to you because I think that's what we want to talk about in there. That is, I was nearly 10 minutes, give him a clap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have a rest. Can I grab the mic for Jess as well as we go across? The, um, the one thing, just I think what's sitting behind a lot of what Paul said to me is about just being honest about the roles of different places in the national economy and then within a city economy. Right? I think that is basically slightly kind of disappeared from the British economic policy discussions. There's a lot of wishful thinking about everywhere can do everything. That any do this, like if you go to any random small city in Britain and go talk to the local government, they will tell you that they're about to become a digital tech hub and a biotechnology like <laughs> centre for excellence around the world. And they can't all do that. If they could, they'd have done it. And the way I, the way I think to try and bring that home is, put your hand up if you live in a house in this room. Some of you, some of the young, obviously less so. I'm sorry about the whole generational disaster. But right, for the, the middle-aged, the older amongst you, live in houses, right? Most houses have the bedrooms upstairs and most of them have the kitchen downstairs. Because there are some like forces like being able to sleep without someone like knocking on your bedroom window or being able to get in the garden from the kitchen, right? There are structural reasons that aren't your choices about why different parts of the houses serve different functions. I can't, that probably is true of but I can't really work out how it would work, so I'm going to keep it on houses, okay? And that also applies at the level of the national economy, right? Big cities, and we see this around the big cities, are the places where high-value services in big volumes will cluster, in big volumes. And that is what Britain is good at, with the second biggest service export in the world, which is why we think Birmingham is so important to the British economy. And then the same applies within Birmingham. Why is the city centre so important? And some other places, definite centres of output in Wolverhampton as well. If you look to the wider West Midlands, you'd definitely be looking at Coventry as well. But, in, but for our focus here, yeah, different places do different things. Being honest about that is the start of having an economic suggestion. Right, I promise you were fun, so you better be fun now, Jess. Birmingham is the second city. We're in the second city, no clapping, we're not telling you. Anyway, that was the fun bit. So, I suppose, it just, my brief was to respond to the report, um, and I'm a representative of the tan area, um, the, the tan area of the city. Um, so, look, I, I think that the, the problem that you prescribe is exactly right. Um, there is, uh, from the point of view of an ordinary citizen in the city, there are definitely uh, a number of uh, problems. Uh, chief amongst them, the, the two that you have identified, uh, chief amongst them, and that is housing and uh, transport. Um, at, there are few cities in the country where transport is as crap as it is in Birmingham. Public transport is dreadful in our city. And I mean, to, to put no final point on it, I have never been to Perry Bar until the Commonwealth Games when there was a free bus that was put on and a place in the city centre where I was, there was a big flag telling me where to get on it. 
uh, and I, the idea that I would attempt to go to the vast majority of the West Midlands without taking my car is for the birds. Uh, Does anyone agree with that? Hands up? Yeah. Anyone love the Birmingham uh, public transport? You don't mind it. He's wearing. That's because you live in Surrey, don't you? Yeah, you live in Surrey. I actually know him. I don't. I can't look at a person and guess that. To be honest, why are you going to give that? So, why are you doing this very impressive? Yeah, like so. The the reality is, is that that it's very very difficult. So, for example, a lot of my constituents work at the airport. Um, and the airport has to fund buses to get them to and from the airport, for example. Um, so that, that is really, really problematic. There is an enormous housing crisis in our city. Do, like, I think that, I mean, the, the billions of pounds that are being asked for, the, the barriers to achieving this will always be, um, will always be the, the sort of finance element of it. I don't think the city can, the country can grow without places like Birmingham being uh, massively advanced uh, and that being the case. The things that I see as being the massive barriers to that happening, aside from uh, finances uh, and the will of central government to know there's a reason why the M6 is shit and the M40 is brilliant. Um, and that's because all people who work in, excuse my language, uh, is that all people who work where I work and make these sort of decisions go from Oxford to London. Uh, and so it's really easy to get from my house to, I'm uh, delightfully M40 adjacent, uh, to my workplace in Westminster. But if I try and go to Rochdale, it'll take seven and a half hours. The, um, the, situation is that I'm not sure, and I've been very grateful for work like this being done, but I'm not sure that we are ever seen as being anything other than a bit of a basket case. And that is really, really problematic. I can see some of the head teachers and um, educators from my constituency in the room. And the other problem is the sort of direct link between industry and education. Um, it just doesn't exist, really. Um, it, certainly, it certainly doesn't exist in, in the city in the way it does uh, where I've seen it elsewhere. So that is a problem. I think that um, I'm more than happy for the city centre to grow, but I, you know, representing the TAP, uh, it would be remiss of me to say that in the 30 years that I've been sort of aware of the economic development of Birmingham before it was just a place, you know, I just went to the park um, and played around the city. I, it has massively changed the place, the bit I live in, I live in South Birmingham in Kingsheath and it, it's unrecognisable, Harborn similarly, it's unrecognisable and the level of economic development and fancy people, frankly, who live there. <laughs> My husband describes them as people with wearing baggy trousers on the school road, women in pantaloons. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, in Birmingham Yardley, in the town, in Northfield, in Birmingham Yardley, we don't see this, your big 3D, um, <laughs> try not to say erection, um, you're the big 3D city centre. It does spill out to places like where I live. It doesn't spill out onto my constituents. And bringing up just the middle classes and uh, 
the university educate or learn? So few of us seem to be, it seems, from this data. Um, that I, I, am, I am weary that that level of investment without, without a government providing proper social infrastructure elsewhere is would would um would definitely be problematic but i'm all for it make the city bigger get more houses make the city center massive build high rises wrap yourselves out trams a chance to be a bloody fine thing anyone in the room trying to go through digbus recently when is that going to be done jesus christ also, as somebody who lives in King's Heath, I've been waiting 36 years for the promise of next year the railway station being delivered. <laughs> we'll see. Very good. Let's give, let's give Jess a clap. <laughs> I think Eddie's going to swear less. Eddie, you must swear less. Uh, tell us about what it's like actually trying to think some of these things and do something in practice. I will. I'm going to come on to that, but I want to begin by saying what a great report it is. I've had all of two hours to come look at it um, <laughs> this afternoon, amongst other things. Um, and so uh, I've, I've done my best to kind of give it a quick scan and try and understand uh, the logic of the argument. I, I want to be a little bit provocative uh, for the sake of the session and um, point out some uh, concerns I might have about about it and. Um, as you say, I'll, I'll come on to, so what are we actually trying to do at Westminster Model Authority level as well? Um, but first of all, let's, let's be really clear about points of real agreement and why this report is so important and so, and so good. Um, it is absolutely the case that a more productive Birmingham is critical to a more prosperous and a better balanced UK. I think that's, that's absolutely clear. Um, and that Birmingham and Manchester need to be centre stage in any national economic strategy. So if the report achieves that, then that is fundamentally important and, and, and key. Um, I think it's also really clear from the analysis that I've been able to look at that there's huge room for improvement in Birmingham's tradable sectors and that productivity within our sectors is perhaps more important than any attempt to re-industrialise or to try and change the sectoral mix. I think that's another really well-made point uh, in, in the report. Um, the Birmingham needs to be bigger. Again, I think we can all agree um, on that. I think that's really uh, key as well. And that we need to increase both the supply and the demand for graduates as well. I think that's uh, a, a critical point that's been, been made. Um, clearly, and there's some really sophisticated analysis in there around housing, uh, big issues around planning. Um, I don't see any more about an effective public transport system. I think Jess has completely nailed that one. Uh, so I think we all agree on, on that front. Um, and then just to pick up a couple of points that I don't think Paul did touch on, but it's worth just flagging here, um, that all of this is going to come at significant cost. But you didn't say, Paul, fiscal devolution, sorry to get wonky, uh, is really, really important. The ability for the region to raise and spend uh, its own money. Uh, I'm very happy to talk more about that uh, later on. That is critical too, uh, alongside more empowered and accountable local leaders. Uh, and I would say that, wouldn't I? But I think that's that's uh, that's also key. I want to come back to that in a moment. And then a point that is made briefly, but really importantly, is this is going to take a long time. We're not going to turn this around uh, overnight. So there's a stack in the report that is fundamentally really, really important. However, 
to be provocative, I think I want to pull out a few things where I would uh, question or disagree. And a lot of this stems from methodology. And again, you'll forgive me because I just haven't had the time to really dig into the methodology. So Paul, if you want to come back and say, Ed, you got that completely wrong, fine, let's have that, let's have that debate. But um, Paul and I have been around these houses uh, for probably a decade uh, on, on some of these issues. But the kind of, if you get the methodology slightly wrong, then you get, I think, not the wrong policy solutions, but you get skewed policy solutions. Um, and there is this old adage um, that if the only tool that you have is a hammer, then everything starts to look like a nail. And quite frankly, um, there are a bunch of think tanks and university departments in London, and everything needs to look like London. Uh, and that very often skews the way in which I think we think about some of these issues. On a methodological point, um, and actually the report does say, it explicitly says, that it is quite crude in its argument. The question is, what, what, what creates high productivity? Can we inject that into Birmingham? And I think the problem with that kind of approach is that it doesn't take seriously the economic geography, the history, the direction of travel. So you're really kind of doing a thought experiment rather than actually engaging with the reality um, on, on the ground. Um, and I think then some of the statistics seem to be or the methodology arranged to try and suit that argument. Um, there's a couple of things. I've been around this with Paul before. Um, I think that using primary urban areas as your... Uh, you are we going to lose the audience? Okay, oh, right, right. Please, God. Yeah. Two, okay, that, they're underbounded. You end up with those spiky graphs, and that leads you to particular conclusions about cities. Um, I think that the demographic analysis, which now is all about graduates, tells you exactly what you want to hear about graduates. So there's some problems there. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this analysis isn't fundamentally important and, and crucial, but it just steers us towards a particular set of policy prescriptions, very focused on basically tradable sectors in big agglomerated cities. And frankly, that's been the economic orthodoxy coming out of Treasury for the past 20 years, and it hasn't done too much. So. I think there are three implications from this. First of all, I think we've got to take more seriously, and I'm not saying the report doesn't touch on it, we've got to take more seriously the need for equitable growth, for better shared growth. Very interesting stuff there on housing. But whether or not non-tradable services are different from anywhere else, or whether they can or can't drive productivity, they represent 57% of the workforce in the region. We can't just dismiss that and go, oh, well, it's not going to drive productivity, so bad luck, guys. We've got to have a strategy for what we're doing about um, that, that part of the economy. Secondly, I have some doubts about exactly how city centres are going to emerge in a post-COVID world. I just think we don't know yet quite the extent to which people will want to come back into City centres. So I'm not for a moment suggesting city centres aren't important or that face-to-face contact's not important, but the extent to which that bounces back, I don't think that's addressed in the report. And also, the relationship between Birmingham and London and the proximity between the two, only 40 minutes in a HS2 world, I think is critical. And again, I don't think the report gets to grips with that uh, sufficiently. And particularly because what does that do for demand for city centre space in Birmingham if we're that close to, to, to London? And then finally, I don't think it takes seriously what I would describe as the kind of systemic problems that are at the heart of regional disparities over the past 
30 or 40 years. In particular, massive imbalances in public expenditure on economic affairs between London and the rest of the country. Uh, again, in previous roles, I've written about this huge transport disparities per head. Innovation, 80, was it 82% of innovation funding going to London and the South East. In any world, that's going to cause huge regional imbalances. The, um, the decimation of local government, which we're thinking about a lot in this region at the moment, um, the immature, the relative immaturity of regional institutions, um, you know, all of these are systemic issues that are really fundamental to why we are uh, where we are. So, what are we doing in the West Midlands um, that is perhaps a bit different from, so I wouldn't say we're doing anything that goes against the grain of what the report is recommending, but just to kind of, again, add a little bit to, to what's there. Um, I think we're taking a broader approach than just looking at tradable services in our city centres. Uh, you would expect us to do that. We have a plan for growth in the West Midlands. It has eight clusters. Um, they are not. You're everywhere doing everything. I think that's the way you described it before. They are uh, sort of evidence-based clusters, one of which is uh, financial professional services, but um, there are seven others as well. So I wouldn't think... I'm not going to list them yet. Um, second, secondly, um, big, big focus on digital, and in particular, digital adoption. Um, we are seventh out of 12 UK regions for digital adoption. That is a fundamental drag on our productivity. Surprise, there's not more in the reports about that, but that's a big, big focus for us. Um, thirdly, um, devolution deal. Um, we've got a trailblazer devolution deal in the West Midlands. Um, some of it is incremental and a bit piecemeal, but the big deal there is the single settlement and the ability to have what we've currently got some 70 or so competitively big grant funds coming to the region. Very, very difficult to really flex those to address the economic problems that we've got in the region. But through the single settlement, five blocks of funding effectively being treated like government department, that is going to make a fundamental change to how the region can be more strategic in addressing um, economic problems. Uh, fourth thing is a different approach to place-based growth. Uh, so we're beginning to adopt uh, a new approach so we can think about economic zones and corridors and the way they work. Again, I have to say more about that later on. And then finally, and if I'm allowed to refer to other research, because uh, there is other research around how you drive economic growth, the Vatnik School of Government at Oxford have done some really, really interesting work on turnaround cities. Um, and what they've said is that one of the critical factors um, is about having a clear and distinctive narrative about your place, your region. So that's another area that we're beginning to focus on too. Okay, that's, okay. that's brilliant. Everyone, thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you for the normal meeting, but we should also thank you for stepping in on short notice yes. because Deborah Cabin, the Chief Executive of Birmingham City Council, as you can probably guess, has a political talk to do with. She's speaking with the Secretary of State, uh, Michael Gove. That is her trauma. Thank you. Behave. Right. Kevin is also not going to swear. Over to you, Miss Ware. Over to you, Kevin. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so, I've obviously got the same political insight as the others on this panel, uh, so I did put slightly out of place. But I'm obviously the host here today because you're in our building, uh, so uh, that's one reason. The other thing is we got mentioned quite a few times in the earlier addresses being the service sector. Um, we're in 18 offices across the country, um, and therefore we do have quite an interesting insight in terms of some of the challenges and opportunities that have been talked about earlier, particularly in this report. 
Um, and we kind of see that. I mean, again, if the investments are made in transport and housing, then effectively that has a huge impact on businesses like mine. Mm -hmm. Because again, we have a significant number of people across country, 26,000, uh, probably half of them in London. But at the moment, if you look at where the people that are joining our firm, the graduate school leavers and apprentices want to work, actually 65% of them are joining outside London because London's too expensive. So again, so the productivity solutions that the country needs are the same productivity solutions that were set out earlier that Birmingham needs and the other cities need in the UK. The second thing you can kind of see happening is that the reason we're in these cities is the clients are there and the people are there. Again, you know, I, I hear the challenge on the graduates, but again, we've got 2,300 people in Birmingham, and actually of all our offices, it's probably the most diverse in terms of recruitment. 63% of the people joining us this year come from ethnic island minorities, and 27% from social mobility backgrounds. And again, that's really important to us, because that's what our clients expect to see. The reason that you're relevant as a business in the service sector is that the people that pitch for the jobs for your clients look and sound and have the same values as the clients whom they're approaching. So again, Birmingham actually reflects a lot of the challenges of the UK, but also a lot of the opportunities. I think we, we can all get ourselves really down beat in terms of that. We look at the game, financial services sector coming to Birmingham as it has done in recent times. Not only that, in terms of opportunities for businesses like ours, but in terms of our global business has a huge amount of financial services skills right across the globe. And they want to come to Birmingham too. That again feeds off opportunity. So again, I think the opportunities we talk about here and the challenges we talk about here are symbiotic for the businesses. And if we can deliver on some of those opportunities and some of that, if you like, national investment in places like Birmingham, then everyone benefits. And again, then that becomes a really important message, I think, for the wider UK. Well, good. Thank you very much, Kevin. And thank you for hosting us. Now, we've got a bit of time. We're going to try and cover three hard things, and then hopefully we'll get back to lots of points that have been raised by the panelists we're going through. So we're going to first of all do scale of the change slash where are we now, then we're going to do direction of change, and then we're going to do who benefits where. Uh, just really, and these all overlap, but if someone could, you could kind of show some discipline within that remit, that would be good, you know, because we've got to get that done. Right, I want to start with a question on... And then we're going to go to questions from online and in the room. And remember, hashtag West Midlands for those of you who want to put your questions online. So on where we are today, where we're starting from, so some of this particular gesture was a bit on the depressing end of the um, market. Actually, in some ways, well, you, know, you did touch on this as well, but right, in some ways people are, think, actually, things have gone better. Right. Okay. Some ways people think, actually, like you say, that... Well, was it pantalon wearing yeah. people of King's uh, Things have gone better. They walk around the city centre and they see new developments in the way they didn't see them in the 1990s. Better than it was. The technical term is yeah. that is a bit posher than it was. Now, there's, there's two responses to that, okay? And you definitely see both. One response you see is people saying, like, my God, it's a, it's a lot posher than it was. Mm -hmm. Like, great stuff. Them, uh, sometimes edging into, and that brings with it some downsides, like the pantalons. Them, uh, and maybe we don't want too much of that. Start worrying about, and start worrying about, you know, visible inequality being more of a problem. Yeah, you tend to see that. Then another response to it, to it is, um, things, we have made some progress, we have made some progress, but Birmingham is, a, is still far below national average in terms of productivity, far below national average in terms of wages, a complete basket case when it comes to employment levels. 
What, what makes the West Midlands in general stand out versus the rest of the country? The employment levels. Yeah. Right? Even, and particularly over the last decade where we saw fast rising employment right across the country <laughs> and other poorer urban areas, South Yorkshire, Merseyside, saw the largest increase in employment catch up and were at the London. The West Midlands stands out as having not seen that. Yeah. Um, so the other response is to say we have seen some progress. But before we start saying, oh, we don't want too much of that progress, let's be really clear about exactly the scale of the progress, rather than saying, I sometimes you get this even more in Greater Manchester, where people say they, they like turn on a train, they walk in the city centre, they see some fancy buildings, they, they see more of them than here, they, um, and then it goes high, and they see some cranes, and they say, whoa, central Manchester is loaded these days, like, we're kind of done, let's stop worrying about the growth of central Manchester, ignoring the fact that, you know, what's the poorest part of Greater Manchester? Central Manchester. How rich is Manchester's productivity levels over the last decade? Yes, slightly above the national average in terms of growth levels, but just slightly, I mean, a rounding error above. Like we are so not job done. I think that tension between it's gone really well, we should be optimistic, which we should be, but we've got a long way to go, is hard for an economic strategy to wrestle with. Yeah, If you're saying to central government we're doing really well, then they're going to be like, you're doing really well, off you go then. Right? But if you say it's all a basket case, then everyone gives up. And the difference between Birmingham and Manchester is that there is a danger of people giving up in a way that wouldn't be. So, like, for the outside world, I was talking to a song based in the US the other week about this project. And they said in most countries, the normal response to Birmingham in lots of the UK, which is like, it's a write-off, right? which some of this discussion could lend itself towards, which wouldn't be acceptable because it's so big and so potentially rich and was rich in the past. Remember in the 60s, people were legislating to stop Birmingham growing because its economy was too strong. As recently as the 60s. Now that turned out to be nuts in retrospect, but that isn't the point. The point is about relative changes. Yeah. So, so go on, let each of you give us on the where we're starting from. How, how, where are you on the basket case versus kind of withdrawing success? And how do you navigate that when you're like making the case for your city? Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard, um, and I'm afraid to say that there is a culture in the city, and this is something that I like about the city. In fact, I'm very, very proud of it. Like if Birmingham had a tourist tagline, it'd be, come if you want. Um, and, you know, like that is that's that's part of our problem, um, and it's like I love that. That makes me like you all a lot more. Um, but that is that is a bit problematic. Um, and I think about how, like, you know, if you look to the US and the trillions of pounds being put into green investment, and it's seeming like the only game in economic growth, as notwithstanding everything that you're saying here about the service industries, etc., seems to be about green technologies. It's, you know, I mean, we haven't got the wind, have we? I mean, like, the, the talking about the West Midlands in that space seems slightly... Uh, it, I, I worry about where we fit into that, although the head of HSBC uh, in Europe said to me that Birmingham could be the retrofitting capital, so I'm looking forward to being the retrofitting capital of the world. You could, you could do with a lot of retrofitting. <laughs> the walls are very bad on average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did ask the government for the money for retrofitting of thousands of pounds, and they said no. So we've gone out, um, out of 10, North Basket case, 10 is already a rip-roaring success. What should be, what is that? Uh, I mean, genuinely, it is not that much of a basket case. The, it is it is ill, it has been ill-served, I think, um, by, um, essentially, I mean, I'm not just slagging off the Tory government. I, I think it has been ill-served and it has, it has asked for too little. 
like the every single man I've ever got on a train with from Westminster to Birmingham, literally every single man, Labour and Tory, has told me that they built New Street Station. Uh, they've taken responsibility and they're like, oh, I did that. Um, and it's like, that's it. It seems like that's all we've oh, asked six. for. Okay, I'm giving you, I'm counting that as a six out of ten. Yeah, six, I'm guessing. I had to go on train, but I did not have any part of building that <laughs> Just climb, everyone else does. Hey, hey, how, do you, how do you wrestle with that? So, I mean, um, both professionally but also personally, the, the question is very easy to answer, which is we've got absolutely no choice but to be positive and optimistic and try to drive forward the um, economy of, of the West Midlands. And, and so to that extent, you know, I, I don't really think there is an issue. The question is, can we have, can we get the right evidence to do the right thing? Let's, let's give just a sample. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Enjoy moving back So the question is, what is the evidence and how are we going to drive things forward that are relevant to um, the West Midlands? This is why this kind of report is so important, um, because it helps us build that, build that picture. The reason I sometimes want to give up, and this is not a political point at all, it's a bit 100% clear about that, is central government. And I'm talking particularly about government officials that I have to deal with, and I was responsible for negotiating a trailblazer devolution deal. And the logic there is so difficult, it inhibits the way in which we have the freedom to actually grow and develop Birmingham and, and the West Midlands uh, more, more generally. And frankly, some of the ideas in this report are so pervasive in the minds of civil servants in um, Treasury in particular, that that actually becomes a problem because they are absolutely obsessed with how do we grow the tradable services in Birmingham City Centre. So when I want to talk about a more inclusive approach to economic growth that's going to benefit Sunweb or Dudley or whatever, they'll say, well, sorry, our policy frameworks don't kind of lend themselves to that because we want to drive the maximum productivity from every last public pound. And that doesn't lead to equitable growth across the cross. So that's where this, this conversation starts to get a bit problematic. Let's come back to who benefits, because I think we should get to like... I want to, to talk about retrofitting then. So we're coming to that, don't worry, you can't skip to retrofitting. That's way down the started to talk about. Um, okay, let's do direction of change. So on, on sectors, so um, Kevin, you can take this. There's a question online about um, how... So sometimes the conversation in economic policy space gets stuck between... Um, it's either going to be financial services, or it's going to be manufacturing. To be slightly unfair on, but I'm slightly caricaturing, but it does often end up in that space, whereas in the real world, um, the service sector is far wider, does, does most of the employing, as Ed said earlier. So specifically, what do you think about the role of cultural and creative services in the regions that can be growth? Yeah, well, I think, I think everyone's trying to get to a situation where you can make an area more attractive, because at the end of the day, you either want people to be educated here and remain here, and as a business like mine, the arts and culture are at the heart of that. If it, if it becomes, you know, effectively a cultural desert, then people are always going to find other, other places to live. So it does go back to kind of place-based strategy. So you've got to have the two here. It's a bit like you can't choose to financial kind of services and the service sector. The two go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I think there is a real need, though, to talk it up. Let's talk, talk up Birmingham alongside the national debate. And it's not about levelling up. It's not about, it's about balancing. 
And I think the story that I've been taking from national government, and I think the story that comes out in your report, is that you won't solve the productivity problem for the UK that we desperately need to solve to deal with the national debt without stronger regions and more investment in the regions. Then they will be able to stay and, and live their lives in a, in a more balanced and fairer way. We obviously definitely agree with that. I think one of the things, like, probably where we all do, we do disagree with it is that my view, I spent my life talking to the central government, is they don't think, I mean, I'm honest, it's not like, it's not like I don't think the problem is they think, that only think about Birmingham in terms of getting some productivity because they don't think about it anywhere near enough because they did. We'd have you know, done a lot of the investment a long time ago. It would have been part of national stories. I mean, people don't talk about Birmingham in a way they talk about Great Manchester. They just don't. Yeah. I think it's got a bit better having Andy Street, having a visible leader has definitely made a difference, but it's not part of the national conversation in the same way, unless you're talking about Peaky Blinders and then we get back to the creative and cultural. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think you can say that about a lot of cities in the UK. I think sometimes if you're sat in Nottingham at the moment, you might say that never gets a mention either. So I think, yeah, definitely. I think, I think if you like, Manchester might be ahead in terms of its kind of PR. What is the difference between Birmingham and Nottingham that's really important? You're selfishly thinking about it from a British perspective. Um, I, I don't think it's really. Well, big. One of the big ones in recent times, the kind of services. No, there's a huge difference. But again, you'll think about the British economic strategy, the defining features of Birmingham is just far, far bigger. Right? So like we would like Nottingham to be really successful as well. That'd be a triumph. Right? But Britain can you like we do need to decide what is most important is Britain just can't have a bus Birmingham. Now we don't want the bus Nottingham. Right? We'd like a really successful one, luckily, but Nottingham City Council isn't bus before anyone gets confused. The, um, right, but it is more. Yeah, it is poor. But it's just rebalancing though, isn't it? Because actually what you actually want is both cities to benefit. I'm trying to encourage you to some trade-offs. <laughs> some tough decisions do exist in the world. It's like, are you going to have your bedroom in the kitchen? There are some decisions that are actual choices. Like, not everyone can have the same bedroom. Like, there are allocation decisions. There are, like, why haven't you got a really functioning large metro system? Because capital budgets were either cut or allocated elsewhere. Like, other things were prioritised. Um, as you, like, what do we actually think? What do we actually want done? Yeah, and as I said, I don't think central government thinks that Birmingham is the priority for its growth. And you can see that in you know, some of the decisions over the longer period. I think more recently, we've seen something like that. Right, let's move to the direction of change. Um, uh, and Paul, why do you tell us a bit about just, so one of the things that stands out to Paul, we do go through like what is actually the industrial mix in the city, all that stuff, how's it changed over time? And one thing that always strikes me is whenever I do a dinner in, in the West Midlands, actually, generally, this isn't just a Birmingham thing. The West Midlands, if you do a dinner with like business leaders, they will always say two things that always slightly surprise me. One, they will say like they're very manufacturing industrial focused, right? So everything will be about that as the future. Yeah. And then secondly, they will always say it's going really well, which goes back to the optimism thing, which and it often is going really well for people running small industrial, you know, businesses in the West Midlands. These are generally smaller places I'm going to, not the really big employers. Um, they'll say it's going to be because if you're earning like 70k running a small manufacturing business in Plots Westman, you are really rich for the local areas. So they are. But as a whole, look at the productivity rate and the wages, we're not. So what is the, what is, what's actually happening in the data tell us So there's a, there's a general pattern in, in terms of how Birmingham performed in that, as you were saying earlier, Torsten, did really well in the 60s, the 70s, and then hit a bit of a, a wall as we had. So huge, um, very quick deindustrialization of Birmingham. In the late 70s, the way that actually Manchester was much earlier in the parts of the UK was earlier as well. So huge amount of change have to deal with, which very large declines in manufacturing within that. Um, 
But that decline in manufacturing in terms of share of output is something that has been seen across UK cities and actually seen across European cities as well. So Birmingham is not um, exceptional in that respect in terms of seeing the structural change. At the same time, we're seeing the rise of more knowledge-based activities in trade or service type sectors. Again, Birmingham is not, um, uh, is not unique in that. I think the challenge is that the increase in that uh, knowledge-based activity has not been as fast as what has been in Manchester, which has not been as fast as what's been seen probably in other cities in the continent, which gets again to the heart of, uh, of, of why we're seeing this challenge. So there is stuff here that is working. The city centre is increasingly working. You know, it itself has driven, you know, pulled Birmingham along in the last 20 or 30 years. You think about back in the 80s when initial start put in place and now look what we've got here. And it is the most productive part of the, uh, the Birmingham urban area as well. But it's just too small. You know, attracting in of these types of businesses across the Birmingham urban area, but especially within the, the city centre, has not been as quick as what we need. And we then see that in productivity data. So the direction of travel is good, but it needs to be great. Right, Mike, if there's a microphone, because let's do, let's do place to this, because then I said something interesting earlier, which is, is the centre of Birmingham where the action's going to be, or will work from home slash HS2 make it less important as the productive centre, the, the spike, as I prefer to call it, in the middle of that map, will that be less spiky uh, over um, time? And for those of you in the room, just turn around a second, quite briefly. The, um, what you will see is one of the defining features of Birmingham City Centre, those of you online, I'm going to explain to you, it's just, it's short for a city centre. Yeah? The buildings are short, right? Not in the, not your building, Kevin, I promise you, very grand building, very nice, very tall, because while we can see the short building, but like, that is like about 800 metres from the centre of Birmingham, and we have average heights of buildings that you would see it not in productive parts of the continent in general. It's unusual for a large city to have such a short city centre. Now, one response to that, and I'm getting to like economic strategy choices here, but I'll give you time to ponder it for a bit, which is like one response to that is to say, well, we think that the HS2, we think the world's changed, we're from home, we don't need what a city centres look like in lots of the well, so we don't want to build all the office space, and that isn't going to be our priority. There's trade-offs with housing, there's trade-offs with green spaces. There's tough choices, right? You're going to spend the money to make that happen or not? Another one is to look at it and say, we need a lot more office space because that spike is going to be where the productivity happens. And if we don't build the office space, then the spike can't make the city as a whole rich because the spike's too small to get us enough yeah, to power the whole prosperity of the city. So I think you need to know which one of those two positions uh, you're in. And that's hard because, you, like you said, how work from home plays out, how HS2 plays out. So how are you resting with, do you want... Do you want those buildings to be taller, more office space in the city centre, or do we not want that? What do you reckon in the long term? We need Birmingham to be bigger, and we need the Birmingham. We need the buildings to be taller, and we need higher density in Birmingham city centre. Question: Is that the sum total of our economic strategy? No, definitely not. That's a caricature. That's why you've asked the question. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, but it's yes, it's yes, but... And I'm coming to the buts, but like, the, well, the, the thing that this is confusing is that it's really important people to get to, like, because the central government doesn't hear that's what we want, and they don't do the stuff that comes alongside it, and yeah, then 20 years right, But this is the problem. That is all it feels like government here. And therefore, we end up with policy which focuses on that. Now, my argument would be that we need a broader and we need a more devolved approach to economic strategy. We definitely need both of those. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so if we keep banging on about tradable services in big agglomerated cities, 
we don't spend enough time thinking about what that more okay, so that is, that's good that's a good disagreement no, no, this is good. I want to get to the disagreement which is the disagreement is is there enough you're saying we talk about that too much our argument is Birmingham's not doing enough of it and we are very poor as a result and it is the key to making the West Midlands as a whole and particularly the Birmingham economic area which has a lot of very poor people in it right richer and if we don't, if we disagree about that, that then what people will hear is not, like you said earlier, really importantly, a clear narrative. Instead, so they will hear, we want a bit exactly of everything right. So, I think we need a clear, distinct narrative, which is not based on that narrative, which is based on what I would describe as a mid-sized urban city system, city region, which is much more like the city regions that we see uh, successful city regions that we see in continental Europe, which the city centres wouldn't look that different from this, but their productivity is higher, their quality of life is higher, and their, you know, their, the, the, the economic um, geography is broader. Um, and, I, and I think that's the solution we should be looking for. Okay. But because all the research is written in different languages, it is much more difficult for us to penetrate and understand exactly the kind of policy that we need to achieve that. Because there's so much written about US cities, there's so much written about London, we obsess ourselves in anglophone sizes with that is the model that we need and actually we need to break. Right, let's, use that, let's use the, the, the US obsession as a good pivot. So give Paul the microphone. So public transport, I mean, you didn't, you, because you were a fixed to 10 minutes before, you didn't get to go into the public transport section of the report. So it, one thing it says is, so Birmingham's unusual for lots of driving, right? Those of you that work in the city centre, how many people commute by driving? Was it 75% as a whole people drive to work in? Something like that. It's like, it's like, worse, like much higher congestion than in any other part of uh, um, any other large urban area in Britain, in uh, Great Birmingham, and, and worse than lots of US cities. Right? Now, US cities are highly productive and don't do the whole public transport shindig, right? How much of central Birmingham do we have to knock down to make it productive in our modelling via cars? You remember? I can't remember the exact thing. Okay, I'll tell you. We've got to double the number of roads and double the number of 90% more roads and 100% more car parks, right? You've got to bulldoze a lot of things to, to make it look like a US city that manages to be productive and get the workers into the city centre by driving. Right? So this is a like, slightly funny way of saying Obviously, you need to do public investment in transport to get, allow people to access the city centre if you want it to be bigger. If you don't want it to be bigger, then you'll focus your public transport investment elsewhere, which is why this discussion matters. Right? It matters. Your decisions about where the public transport investment goes are you get your frigging transport connections in the city centre to work for lots of people, including from poorer places in, in Birmingham that are disconnected from it, and that will clear up road space for people to do lots of other commuting by cars, which they will. Right? All of you that think there'll be no cars because you're a Complete green hippie, it's not going to happen. Right, I promise you, all the travelling side to side is still going to be done by a car, but can we get people off the roads getting in and out of the city centre? Yes. Um, so, Paul, you can answer this question. They're not our decisions, just so you're aware. No, no, totally. Yeah, the government's totally. Now, why don't you take this one, Paul, which is how important is an effective public transport system in realising urban potential, but do it versus Manchester? Which one is more important? Well, we have pound more today because we're being unfair on head on choices. The choice for you is we want both these places to be great. Where is the marginal pound for the public investment in transport? So there's a lot of improvement done in, in Manchester's, with Manchester's transport and the franchising buses. I'll come in a couple of days' time as a, as a big step forward in that as well. 
were pleased to be more invested in the tram system in, in Manchester, in Metrolink, than is the case in Birmingham. So there's, I think there's a greater gains to be made in Birmingham in terms of trying to deal with this public transport than is in the case in Manchester. Why is that important? Well, we think that the city centre is going to become larger, you know, in a more knowledge-based economy. You know, Ed had his disagreements about, about COVID. We think that you know, people will still be coming in. Maybe three days, or even five, but they're still coming in. If you're following more and more people into the centre, and you haven't got the car infrastructure there, you're going to require more and more public transport in order to funnel them in. I think that is a, a tighter constraint in Birmingham what it is in Manchester. Yeah, that definitely says that. Right, let's do a quick poll. I want to move on to a few benefits, then we're going to wrap up and release everyone to their Birmingham lights. The, um, so, all of those of you online will be able to see this straight away. I'm going to read it out for those of you. Oh, you can see it behind me. Great. So, in 10 years' time, this is on choices. Is that, like, one thing we want to emphasize in this report is policymakers and people have choices they have to make, right, and trade-offs. So in 10 years' time, do you want the, uh, I should say, Birmingham, Birmingham urban area, do you want it? Now, I'm going to explain what these mean, okay? So higher inequality, by specifically, we think, the most likely outcome, if you make Birmingham more productive, which is what Britain needs it to be, is that you will have, you'll have more better-off people in Birmingham, right? Yeah, there were more of them. Some of them will have grown up here, some of them will have stayed after university, but some will have moved here. That's what you see in productive cities. You'll have more higher earners. So inequality within the city will be higher, but principally by the input has gone up because you've got more rich people. It's not because poor people got poorer, it's because there's more there's more better off people in the city. Okay? Back to the pantalons discussion. The um, I'm not sure pantalons are, but anyway, it's not a trousers. <laughs> right. Anyway. But right, but you there's a good chance. If you do the right things policy-wise, build those houses, the poverty in Britain, in Birmingham, and the Greater Birmingham has gone down. Okay, because incomes have risen in Birmingham faster than the rest of the country, and that has reduced poverty. Right in these areas. So there's a there's important conceptual differences: inequality, gaps across the whole population, poverty, people at right to the bottom, the number of people that are really struggling to get by. Okay, and that's partly because employment rates rise in more prosperous places, and when employment rates rise, they benefit poorer households disproportionately. Yeah, they, um, and wages will also rise. So the question is, do we want? Uh, where do people stand on that choice? Now, usually the answer, I'll go around the whole country talking about this, and politicians is the last, the bottom option here, which is I don't like trade-offs. I want to pretend that, I'm, that none of this is like there's no trade-offs at all. Inequality is going to fall definitely when I make this place richer. All right, then uh, and is going to go down, and like you know, man from heaven, heaven's going to be brilliant. Now, that it's not, it's not impossible that can happen, but it's, it's unlikely. That isn't what we see looking around the world, right? And we don't have to get elected, so I can just say that to you, okay? So, what do you want? And I think the people differ on this. When we spent a weekend here doing a deliberative event with 30 residents, this issue was central. We're talking through the stuff we've been talking through today with them. This issue, I don't want Birmingham to be richer. If it means, but they were, and people obviously in the real world aren't distinguishing between the words inequality and poverty, right? So this is the issue. Are you prepared to have some more rich people making some things feel a bit more unequal, but to have lower poverty? Let's do it in the room first, because you can't. This is anonymous, so they get off the hook. Right? First of all, who doesn't want to answer the question? Wants to be like, I don't like trade-offs. It can all definitely be fine. There will definitely be nothing. You can even believe that's the case. And it, and it might be, it's not totally statistically impossible in the case, it's just very unlikely. So, hand up if you want to be a cop out merchant. <laughs> one. I would be Finland. Okay, well, Finland. No, no, that's a country as a whole. It's much easier to cop out at the country as a whole level. You can definitely be richer and more equal at the country as a whole level, and Britain definitely needs that. 
but you're not a country, you're Birmingham, mate. Who wants um, who wants high higher who's happy to have higher inequality if they get less poverty? Fewer food banks, people going to food banks, fewer people not able to afford their food. I'm giving that oh, out. give out at least 40 bucks. Who wants uh, lower inequality, but even if that means more poverty? Oh, no. less, less prosperity. To make it less majority, we went for less prosperity. So everyone poorer. Remember, you live in a world where gas prices are set internationally. So you can't afford your gas in this world. That is amazing. You want to vote for that country. But that's it. I think that's really important because that's what people have to choose. But I definitely, in the deliberative stuff, there definitely were people who were so worried about the inequality that they didn't, they didn't mind losing out of the prosperity. But all I would say is that is what Birmingham has been doing right, for 30 years. And when Jess says it, the benefits of growth so far haven't spilled out, all I would say is the benefits are very, very small so far. Right? And in richer cities, you do not see people going to food banks in the same way, you can't pay their energy bills. So in the end, you've got to have wages rising, and to do that, you've got to have a story. Just saying you would like it to be fairer is not an economic strategy. Right? Yeah, just tell how I would vote. Now, I'm going to give you the vote for those. Let's have the vote online, because I think they were not the same as in the room, but more and more like where, which is they are perfectly happy to have less prosperity and low inequality. That is uh, deeply worrying for Britain. Birmingham could totally make a choice, and that is what, that's what's good about devolution. Different places can choose different answers to that question. Given you're, the, you're, right. you're putting the shade on this, why is it worrying? Because Britain's really poor. Right. Why, why are so many people going to food banks in Britain? But I'll explain to you. We're a high inequality country as a whole. Yeah. Right? We weren't going to have any productivity growth, and wages today are exactly where they were in 2008. When that happens, what happens to poor households is they would go from spending 50% of their incomes on essentials 15 years ago to 60%. And then when a cost of living crisis comes along and they can't pay their energy bills, that is why. So we go around saying we don't want growth, yeah, which is easy for rich and retired people to do, I hear all the time, yeah. Then what happens is working age poor people, when international stuff happens or bad things happen to their budgets, end up in real trouble. That is why I don't agree that we're a democracy apparently, and that is the uh, result. Right, to wrap us up, I just briefly want to do on who benefits. So key things you understand. If productivity in the city rises, I think we should be confident wages will rise in the city relative to the rest of the country. It doesn't mean it's automatic, but you should be confident that happens. But on employment, that takes real policymakers, that does take policymaker action, and employment growth is really important for poor households. So why don't you tell us a bit about what's already happening on the economy? What is the strategy for raising the employment rate as far as you're concerned? I think all of the above, in terms of what I was describing, our, our plan to grow, um, our work on um, our wider work in relation to uh, digital, our wider work in relation to our skills system. Um, you know, I, I think I think all of those those things contribute towards that and make a difference towards that. However, I think the, the point that I kept feeling I wanted to make, in, as you've been talking about various things, is. Sometimes it's described as though we have, as the combined authority or the mayor, have um, big choices to make on some of these things. And I think we do just need to put some of this in context. And if I, I can use two examples, one is on the transport side of things, um, where in actual fact we do have more control, more power, more funds around transport. But to give you an example, the City Regional Sustainable Transport yeah. slug of uh, funding that we have received most recently 
um, which to all intents and purposes looks as though uh, it's a huge boost for the region, it gives us the ability to invest in our public transport systems. We literally have officials man-marking almost every decision that we take to the point of where we should be locating bus stops. Um, and and it's, it's that kind of uh, kind of government intervention that makes things so very difficult to be able to, uh, to sort of drive forward locally. And if I can just use a second example, which is retrofit. Um, again, um, there is funding for uh, retrofitting um, houses, but at the moment we have to bid competitively again and again and again and again, and we get 8 million, we get 12 million, we get 11 million, and it all comes with so many strings attached to it that we can only apply it to 12 properties dotted around Sandwell, because those are the only ones really that it's going to be viable, etc, etc. What we're going to get through single settlement will be, we hope, five years of all of our retrofit, retrofit funding. That will really unlock the market, because then um, the whole supply chain will be unlocked. Um, you know, they, they we'll be able to put the skills systems in place and so on. At the moment, there's lots of skills programs around retrofit, but who wants to go on them when there's no real certainty that that is actually going to be part of the market? So, so I think if we can get that kind of control, then uh, I think we can do a lot more, and that will feed into your employment. That is great. And one thing the report says very clearly is the scale of that change doesn't happen in places that don't have, don't are not or have real devolution so leaders can actually take decisions. Right? Because you can't politically, you can't shape the outcomes, people ain't voting for the change, because change is hard. Right? So that's exactly right. You have to have devolution, you have to have fiscal devolution, you definitely can't man not bus stop uh, decisions, that's rather traumatising to hear it say that. Right? And to wrap us up, each of you, let's do, in 20 years' time, and this report talks about it taking 20 years, because that's what we see it takes in cities to make a material difference in their position. Over the next 20 years, is Birmingham going to be, by the end of that 20 years, above average? productivity compared to the UK as a whole or not. That's not the only objective. Um, and, and let's do above average and done it in a way that has spread prosperity widely, which I think is definitely possible. So that's the good, has the good outcome happened? Right. Yeah. Um, I think it can do. I think it's got to be positive. I think the place-based strategy and giving more power to people locally to make the decisions that suit the people that live there and benefit from it lead to that opportunity. Very good. Ed, are we going to get there? Uh, we've got to, otherwise I should be sacked. <laughs> <laughs> well, instead of a 20 years, I mean, we should have, uh, hopefully we'll retire by then. Right, Ooh, is it going to happen? Uh, with the right policy option, yes, direction travel is good, needs a fair wind and, and government support and evolution behind that, and we need to get there. Very good. And uh, as a last thought, I think, uh, selfishly, as someone that doesn't hasn't yet had the opportunity to live in uh, Birmingham, although anyone wants to offer me a job, always available. <laughs> they are very reasonable. Um, they, um, Britain needs it to happen, right? There's not, there are not lots of plausible ways for Britain to get out of the hole it's in. Most of them run through a far richer Greater Birmingham, and hopefully that would also mean a lower poverty. Birmingham. That is what we should be aiming for. It's not easy, it's, and we've heard some of the reasons why it's not easy uh, today. But there's lots of people in the room who are involved in making it happen. So off you go, we've got 20 years, and we'll see you back in PwC. Thank you, Kevin, for having us in 20 years' time to find out the answer. Have a nice night, everyone. Thank you for listening to this Resolution Foundation event. You can find more episodes and the latest living standards research on the Resolution Foundation website.